Okay, we're going to jump right in. So, okay, the last couple weeks we've been in a series called Stranger Things. And so how that works is we're just talking about things that maybe are weird to the Christian faith, like things that maybe, you know, unbelievers may look at and they don't really know, or people that aren't affiliated with church, they may look at and they think, that's kind of weird, that's kind of strange. <laughs> um, so that's what we want to explain. And like the first week we did baptism, we explained baptism. The second week, um, well, last week, we did kind of the end times, revelation, what does it all mean? And then this week we're going to kind of end with, with a biggie. Are we recording, Zeb? Are we good to go? You're the man. We are ending with a biggie. Uh, spiritual warfare. Um, angels and demons and ghosts, oh my, all that good stuff. What are we to make of this? Is your house haunted? Probably not. Why did I say probably? We'll get into that. So what's going on? Like, what's, what's the deal with like spiritual warfare? Let's talk through some things. Um, a couple nights ago, Krista uh, and I were like getting dinner ready, and like in our laundry room in our apartment, it made the dryer made this like duh, duh, noise. And Kristen goes, "Oh my gosh, we're did you, did you already laugh at that? Thanks, Thomas. Uh, <laughs> you're the man. That's good. I, if if you just come with me everywhere, that's that's all I need, man. Um, but like it made this noise, and Kristen was like, "We're haunted," and I was like, "Really? That's what you think? We're haunted? Like if if a ghost." was to come back now, that's where he'd go, is our laundry room. Like, like coming back from eternity or whatever, his, that's, that's his mission, like, to go to the laundry room and make noise. And she was like, I'm just kidding. And I was like, I know, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm studying for this. I just, I know, I get it. Um, so, okay. Uh, let's, so last night, actually, this is in my notes, but last night, so Kristen's into, like, true crime and, like, all this, like, crime drama and what happens in prison and all this stuff. And so we're sitting on the couch together. This is married life. And I'm looking at YouTube videos about, like, spirituality and angels and demons and ghosts. And Kristen's on her computer. I'm like, what are you looking at? And she's like, I'm looking at what happens uh, in the electric chair. And I was like, oh, okay. And so, like, like, I'm looking at demons, and she's looking at, like, electric chair stuff. And then, like, later on, it, I was like, I, like, took my earphones out, and she, it was like, this is what happens to your body when you drown at sea. And I was like, Kristen, what are you, like, and I'm looking at, like, the haunting of such and such. And I was like, this is the darkest place we've been as a couple, I think, in our relationship. But we got through it. We're okay. Um, okay, so let me tell you this story. I was on a mission trip in North Carolina um, my junior year of college, and I was not a believer at the time, but I still went on a mission trip. So we were all out, we were all out there, and we're like in these cabins, like bunk bed style, and we're all staying up late, and it's a Christian mission trip, so we can't talk about, like, inappropriate things, so we decided to talk about, like, ghosts and demons instead, right? And we're like, are they real? Aren't they real? What's going on? And my friend Jeremy Lavender, who's been a Christian a lot longer than I have and reads a lot of C.S. Lewis and does a good job, he said something that has stuck with me since my junior year of college. He said this, and this is like when the Paranormal Activity movies were super popular and, like, found footage, haunting, Blair Witch, all that stuff. That was all super popular. And he said, he said this, he talks about, and I'm paraphrasing, but he says, you know, if I'm not a Christian, if I don't, I don't care about church, I don't care about the Bible, I don't care about any of that stuff, and demons come to my house. In scary movies when that happens, where's one of the first places that all these people go to? And we were like, well, they like to, they go to the church, or they go to like, they try to get the priest to come in, or the pastor to come in, and they go to their Bible and all this stuff. And he was like, they start caring about spiritual stuff. And he said, if I'm Satan and you don't believe in God, that's the last thing I want you to do. 
You see that? Is run to your Bible or to get a, a priest or a pastor to come in or to start thinking about spiritual stuff. I don't want you to think about that. Satan haunting me would push me to God. So wouldn't Satan be better if he just left me alone and let me kind of wander off on my own? And we were all like, like we all were like, man, that is a really, that's a really good point. Um, and at the time, I was not a Christian, and I was into some very sinful things and a very sinful lifestyle, and Jeremy's statement made a lot of sense to me. I was like, I, I could give a rip about God, but if you start haunting my house, I'm going to go to the church every day asking for questions. And I think that's the last thing that Satan would want us to do. Um, turn to Revelation chapter 2. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. Um, oh man, before you get into the Bible, Lauren, so there's two recommendations I want to make to you guys. Uh, the first is a book called Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Uh, in the, it's a short book. Some of you may have read it for school, but in the book, uh, Screwtape is the name of a demon who is writing letters to a younger demon teaching him how to tempt humans and how, what human nature is like. And it's really insightful on, and it's not scary, it's, it's really insightful on like, Man, I fall for that all the time. You know what I mean? Like it gets you thinking, and it's a real, it's easy to read. Um, and some of the stuff that you don't get as you get older, you'll understand. It's like ten bucks on Amazon. Screw tape letters. The second one is another secret church. So last week we talked about secret church of Revelation in the End Times by David Platt. He does another one, secret church. I think this is number seven, called Angels, Demons, and Spiritual Warfare. Guess what it's about, right? And so this is what he talks about, and he does it in four YouTube videos. They're an hour long each. But again, you can listen to it till your brain starts bleeding, pause it, take a beat, and come back. He does, particularly the second and the third videos are fantastic. He just, he teaches it so well. And again, this is on YouTube. You don't have to have a degree or anything like that to find these things. They're so helpful, okay? So Screwtape Letters is the book. Secret Church 7, Angels, Demons, and Spiritual Warfare is the online resource, okay? Keep that in mind. And it'll be on the podcast too, so, okay. C.S. Lewis says this in the screw tape letters. Now listen to this. He says, there are two errors into which humans can fall about demons. One is to believe that they don't exist. That's an error. The other is to believe and feel an unhealthy obsession about them. And demons are equally pleased by both errors. So there's two ways to get spiritual warfare wrong. Either you don't think it exists at all, or you see it everywhere you go, right? And C.S. Lewis says, Demons like both of these errors. Here's why. To not believe in spiritual problems at all means you're never going to look to a spiritual solution for your problems. The Bible's never going to help me with my problem. It's a spiritual thing. I've got a real problem. You see that? Demons like that. But to believe that you see demons and spirits everywhere means that you'll obsess over that, over that spiritual mystic. Is it haunted? Is it not? Let's talk about this again. And you'll miss what's really important, namely dealing with your sin. So Revelation 2, here's why this is important. Um, this is kind of a good miniature example. In Revelation, we talked about this last week, right? In Revelation, John is writing letters to the seven churches in that area, to the seven churches around the globe about what to do. It's more advice, right? Revelation chapter 2 is kind of where he starts these. One of the first ones, and you'll see in your Bible, is to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians, right? The church at Ephesus. It's a church that was surrounded by rampant occultism. 
the temple of Diana, the temple of Artemis, thousands of temple prostitutes, demonic worship, and mysticism was everywhere. If you read Revelation, so how do we combat that, right? If you read Revelation chapter 2, Jesus does not say to them, cast out demons of sexual immorality and idolatry, organize prayer walks around the temple of Diana so that you can bind those evil spirits. He doesn't say that. It's nowhere in Revelation chapter 2. And there's demons all over the place, right? And he's, in nowhere he says that. Instead, he tells them in Revelation 2, verses 4 through 5, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here. It might be on the board. Um, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do what you did at first. If not, I will come and remove your lampstand unless you repent. So in all this spiritual warfare going on, Jesus, Jesus through John, right, is telling the church at Ephesus, you have forgotten your first love, which is me. You've fallen out of love with me. Repent and turn away, right? Turn away from your sin. Turn away from these things. He gives them no examples of how to perform exorcisms or how to do any of these things. He tells them, you've fallen out of love with me. Repent of your sin. In Revelation 2, 8 through 11, this is the church at Smyrna, and they're facing direct satanic persecution and opposition. Jesus doesn't tell them to bind Satan and his demons. He tells them in verse 10, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to, text you, or to, to test you. Now you're awake. And you will suffer persecution for ten days. And here's his advice to them. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Again, spiritual warfare. What do we do? What's, what's the secret code? What's the incantation that we do? What verse do we read in Latin to get the demons out? What do we do, Jesus? Be faithful Trust me, don't forget your first love, turn from your sin. That is spiritual warfare according to the Bible. Don't you think it's strange that out of all the New Testament writings, Paul, Luke, John, the guy who wrote Hebrews, there is no mention of how to perform an exorcism. Zero. And, and you say, well, maybe some of you might say, well, I mean, those are written to everybody, but what about the pastors? Even the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, written to guys like me, to the pastors, the ones who are going to be doing this, right? Paul leaves no instruction on how to perform an exorcism. He leaves no instruction on how to deal with a haunting. None. Yet we assume and, and again, in Revel this is Revelation. This is where it's all happening. No examples from Christ Himself about how to get rid of demons. Yet we assume that this is part of spiritual warfare for us because here it is, and this applies to sex, this applies to dating, which we're talking about in a couple of months, this applies to money, this applies to status, this applies to all these things. We have been indoctrinated by movies rather than by God's Word and the common sense that He gives us. I'm not saying movies are bad, but I'm saying you have been indoctrinated. You have been taught, we have been taught, by movies and pop culture about spiritual warfare, 
rather than God's word and the common sense that he gives us. So kind of three examples of this, three examples of, I don't know, I'd say faulty spiritual warfare, three examples of how we handle, you know, demonic stuff poorly. So three examples of bad spiritual warfare. Number one, unreliable sources. Every time, it's going to happen tonight, I'm calling it. Every time I talk about spiritual warfare, whether it's at colleges or wherever, and how we need to focus on our sin more than spiritual warfare, someone always comes up to me and is like, I heard you, man, but my grandma's uncle's cousin's best friend went on a cruise one time, and he saw that, like, who, first of all, who saw this? And second of all, you, you're not telling me anything. It's never them. Like, it's never you that it happened, the spiritual whatever. It's never even hardly on your side of the family. Um, Go to school tomorrow, tell your lunch friends or whatever that your pastor is talking about demons and they're going to be like, oh, my brother's uncle's cousin saw a commercial one time and he thought, like, they're going to start talking about, like, way over here. It's like a YouTube video of, like, somewhere in whatever, Tennessee that nobody's ever been to and no one's ever heard of, but that's where this happened in this house and, like, you go to, you go, we, took a, you, we took a ghost tour in Savannah, right, for our honeymoon. You know how many ghosts we saw? None, right? We didn't. Oh, there it was. No, it wasn't. Like, and the ghost tour was just stories about stuff. And he's like, you know, people have said from time to time, who are these people? Why aren't they giving the tour? Why are you giving the tour? Why don't the people who have seen this tell us this stuff? And again, I'm not trying to say that there aren't, Crazy things that happen that I can't explain. There are plenty. But I have yet to hear from someone who's not somebody's uncle's cousin's brother's TV show one time. You know what I mean? Like, it's never this direct thing. Uh, we had a guy call Bob and Mac a couple months ago. I'm, I'm, there's some spiritual stuff going on at my house. I don't like it. Okay, they went and checked it out. Guess what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. Again, again, where is it? What's going on? Unreliable sources. But we just buy into it. If you watch enough YouTube, if you, if you listen to enough grandma's, uncle's, cousins, whatever, in the barn out there, whatever, you're going to start buying into it, right? So unreliable sources. Number two, unbiblical reasoning. This one's good. Um, movies do this all the time, okay? Scary movies or whatever, YouTube videos, whatever, they do this all the time. All the scary stuff goes down, uh, help me out, all the scary stuff goes down in the middle of the day or at night? All the scary stuff goes down at night. Okay, here's why that's important. I remember when the Paranormal Activity movies came out, and like, it was like the found footage stuff. This is not a recommendation, by the way, so don't tell your parents, like, Ryan says we're supposed to want, like, so, not that any of you talk like that, I don't know why I do that. So, okay, it would always, like, the movies always start, it say, it'll say, like, day 13, and everybody in the theater is like, Okay, because nothing's going to happen during the day. But then the screen will go black and it'll say night four. And that's when everybody's like ready to go. Because you know it's way scarier if it happens at nighttime than in the daytime. Um, in the Conjuring movies, uh, in the first one, the clock stops at 3 a.m. every morning. And there's this big long diatribe about how like it's at three at night because three at night is a reverse of the Trinity. It's like a dark Trinity. The exorcism of Emily Rose, the clock stops at 3 a.m. Again, three is like the devil's hour. Now, wait a minute. Okay, this is why this is important. 3 a.m. is evil, right? 
First of all, we all live in different time zones. 3 a.m. here is midnight in California. It's 11 a.m. in Kenya. 3 a.m. is the devil's hour. Do they all have calendars and stopwatches? Like, how do they know? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, if it's so, so they only haunt the Middle East part of the country at 3 a.m. But in Europe, like, everybody's cool. And then when, like, when the day moves at 3 a.m., oh, here we go. Like, hang on, Frank. It's 2.48. We got to wait. Just like, how are we supposed to know? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. And listen, the nighttime thing, it always happens at night. Night is when things are scarier. Night is when it's weird, right? Uh, listen to, uh, I don't know if I highlighted this one, Lauren, and I'm sorry if I threw you under the bus here. Psalm 121.4. Psalm 121.4 says this, Indeed, the God who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God watching, God protecting, God caring for you does not stop at night. He doesn't check out. He is, he is always in control. He does not slumber or sleep. He takes no breaks. He's not, he's not le- like he doesn't have less power at a certain time of the day. Does that make sense? Like it's not biblical to do that. It looks cool in a movie. It'll scare you to death in a movie and it'll get in your head for sure, for sure. But it's not biblical to say, well, now that it's nighttime, I need to be on guard spiritually. Remember, in the creation account, God takes the darkness, He takes the night, and He creates the day, and He separates them. He has total power over night. Nighttime was His invention. Does that make sense? God invented the night. It's not outside of His control. In the creation account, by the way, or sorry, Psalm 139, verse 12 David says, darkness is not dark to you, Lord. Meaning in the dark, it's not like God has lost his way. God uses darkness and light to achieve his ends. It doesn't make sense to say that in darkness, demons have more power and God has less. God is always sovereign. God is always in control. God never goes to sleep or anything like that. Also, don't forget, you know, nights where it gets scary. Genesis 3 uh, Genesis 3.8, Satan tempts Adam and Eve in the daytime. In the daytime, Satan is moving. In Mark 1.32, Jesus is healing after the Sabbath. Okay, This is why this is important. You can't do anything on the Sabbath. That was the big thing. So they have to wait till the Sabbath is over at sundown. Then they all rush. It's in the verse. They wait till the sun goes down, so it's night. Then they all rush to Jesus. So he's healing people at night. He's casting out demons at night. When demons are supposed to have all this power, he's popping them left and right. You see what I mean? In Luke 4.33, a demon-possessed man enters the synagogue. So a demon-possessed man is in the church service. Um, I think one of the most underrated Disney movies ever is The Hunchback of Notre Dame, right? Amen? Okay, Um, here's why this is important. (laughs) Thank you, Katie. She was like, yes. Um, Here's why this is important. There's this great scene in Hunchback of Notre Dame where Quasimodo's got Esmeralda, and they're running from all these soldiers, and he makes it back to Notre Dame. He makes it back to the church, and he yells, sanctuary, which means like safety, because he's in the church, and all the soldiers are like, oh, I don't know what to don't know what to do now. Like they completely lose it because the church is seen in medieval times. The building is seen as this holy place where no evil can get in, where no bad can happen, and that's that's good to see the church that way. But Luke four thirty three, a man with a demon goes in the church, and we have to be careful. Christ makes us holy. 
Jesus' sacrifice for us cleanses us of our sins. That's what makes us holy. We're treated as saints because he took our place. His sacrifice makes us pure. Not a building. Not a place. It is Christ that rescues us from temptation and nothing else. There is no biblical basis. There is no biblical basis for thinking that evil things have more power during the night. That night is when you should be careful. That night is when you are in danger. That goes directly against what we just read in Scripture. Or that specific buildings can make you more holy or safer. That's why you had to perform a sacrifice before you went into the temple in the Old Testament, right? Because your sin goes with you into the temple. If the temple made you holy, you wouldn't have to do that, you see? Only Christ makes us holy. Only Christ is where we are safe. Number three, this is the best one. Uh, So faulty spiritual warfare tactics, okay? Number three, self-deception. Self-deception or... Spiritual warfare on our own terms, okay? This is what this looks like. Um, and, and what I mean is things that we do that make us feel better, but really they just look ridiculous. So like when we're young, and maybe some of you now, not to like, you know, hit too close to home here, but when you're like scared of things, thank you, Lauren, but when you're scared of things, like at night, like when I was little, well, if I was like scared of a ghost or whatever, I would put the covers over my head, like it's getting real intense out there, but now, now we're cool. Now, now I'm safe. And that's ridiculous because, one, if there really was a demon there, now, not only is he still gunning for me, now I can't see anything. Like, I've made myself more vulnerable, but I feel better. Does that make sense? Or we turn the light on, like, I'm terrified. And then you turn, and you're like, oh, we're cool now, guys. Don't worry. I've, prote- I've protected everything. We're safe now. As if the demon, as if the demon would be like, you didn't tell me he had a quilt. What am I supposed to do? Because he? he's got his, he's got his things over. What am I supposed to do? Or like the light, like a demon's gunning for you, and you turn on the light, and he's oh, like what is he? You didn't tell me. Is that an LED? I didn't know it was LED. We gotta. We'll come back tomorrow. We'll come back tomorrow. And like, do you not think it's so? Okay. Do you not think it's so weird? that you're only afraid of the demons only after you've seen the movie about them. Does that make sense? Like, they're only a threat to you after you've seen the scary movie about... Like, on Monday, you were cool. Like, you were cool, you were sleeping great, but then Monday night, you saw whatever, Blair Witch Project, and now, oh, I gotta be on guard, Mom. Like, we gotta read our... But like, well, you just just saw the movie! Like, of course you're gonna be scared of them now! Like... It's all, and you think, oh, it's real, spiritual work. But you just, you just watched the movie like an hour ago, bro. But like, that's what we think. You see what I mean? Like, it's getting in our own heads about it. We think night is scary, right? Meanwhile, studies continue to show that at night, on your phone, in your bed, by yourself, is where so many sinful things take place. And nobody talks about that. Nobody is concerned about that. And I think that's exactly where Satan wants it. People ask, why is there no big demonic activity in America, right? Like, when you hear about the whatevers, why is it like in the forests of Africa where conveniently there are no cameras? Like, why is it always like in medieval times? Why is there no, why don't we hear about it in 21st century America right now? There's two answers to that. Number one, 
It's like my friend Jeremy said, why would there need to be demonic activity here? Have you ever thought about this? We're all distracted, myself and the adults included. We're all distracted. We all have crazy schedules. We go to church if we have time. We read the Bible if we have time. Meanwhile, church is boring. We think the Bible is boring. Or we have small groups where everyone just kind of talks about how they feel, which is okay, but there's no digging into the Scripture. There's no honest accountability. No one's trying to hold each other accountable. No one's trying to fight their sin together. And then we go home. Why on earth would Satan want to mess that up? Why would he want to bring a real spiritual threat in when we're doing fine on our own? We... Why would Satan want to mess that up when he's got you hooked through lust or gossip or being down on yourself all the time? We have to do what Christ has said and repent of those things. Spiritual warfare is when you open your laptop and you're tempted to look at something or send a message to someone that you shouldn't be or do something like, or, or at the lunch table when you're gossiping and when this is about to go down. And you have to choose. There's spiritual warfare. But no, let's talk about, tell me more about the demons. Tell me more about this. Well, you're in it right now, and so many of us are losing. Let's talk about Satan for a second, because I think a better, I wish someone had come in right now, and I was like, let's talk about Satan for a second. But I think a better picture of him will give a better picture of spiritual warfare, okay? A better picture of Satan will give a better picture of what spiritual warfare actually is. The two main texts in the Bible, now there are several, but the two main texts about Satan in the Bible, kind of his story, is Ezekiel 28, 13 to 19, and Isaiah 14, 12 to 15. I'm going to say it again. Ezekiel 28, 13 to 19, and Isaiah 14, 12 to 15. That's just kind of the story of Satan, all right, if you want to read more. Here's why we call him the devil. Devil is a Greek word that means slanderer. Someone who ruins reputation. Someone who brings people down. He's trying to ruin God's reputation. He's a slanderer. He's the devil. Uh, Satan. The reason we call him Satan, that is important. The Hebrew word, Satan, means adversary. means accuser. So Satan's not really his name. It's more what he does. Does that make sense? He is the adversary. He is the accuser. He opposes God's agenda. He works against God's plan. He violates God's rules. He assaults God's people. In Job 1 and 2, Satan attacks Job, but he says over and over when he's meeting with God in heaven, Satan says, take this from Job, and Job will curse you to your face. That is Satan's end. Not to attack Job, but to bring God's name down a notch. One of the things that will help you read Job is understanding it's not about Job, it's about God. He's, Satan is the adversary. Satan is seeking vengeance against God. He does this not so much by attacking people, but by tempting people to believe that God is not good. Satan is seeking vengeance against God not so much by attacking people, but by tempting people to believe that God is not good. Now, everybody look at me. You can't tempt someone to believe you if you scare them. You follow that? You can't, they're not going to believe you if they're scared of you. Another name for Satan is Lucifer, right? Some of you have heard this, Lucifer. Lucifer is a Latin word. Luce or lux means light. 
Fur means bringer, light bringer, bringer of light. Does that sound scary? In Isaiah 14, he's called the morning star, the sun of the dawn. Halal, meaning to shine, is used of him. We have to be real careful here. When you see scary movies or YouTube videos that, that, that make Satan and his demons look out to be these evil, grisly, horrible things, they are on the inside, but they're not going to look like that to you. Like, like, no, like no demon's going to approach you and you're going to be like, we should hear him out, guys. You're going to like run away. But if, it looks, if, an, if the bringer of light comes, there's temptation. Think about Genesis 3. Satan is described as cunning. He's well-spoken. Think if Eve had seen some creepy, awful beast. She's not going to like listen to it. You see what I mean? But this is what we do with movies of like, we have to, we got to watch out. They're scary. They're terrifying. We got to watch out. All the while, you're digging in, you're, you're buying into this idea of, well, maybe it's not that big a deal if two same-sex attracted people get married. Maybe what's going on in the womb really doesn't matter as much as I thought it did. Maybe, maybe this before marriage isn't, I mean, it feels good, so maybe it's, maybe it's okay. Maybe, you know what? My mom deserved for me to go off on her like I did. And you see how you're slipping down? It feels good. I'm going to do that. This is giving into spiritual warfare and losing. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Satan masquerades or pretends to be an angel of light. 1 Chronicles 21, 1. Okay, here we go. Here's an example. 1 Chronicles 21.1 is one that the spiritual warfare guys and gals don't like to talk about because it's not sexy. It's not cool. I, this, is the, this is the line. Is it up there? Okay. <laughs> then Satan rose up against Israel oh, and caused David to take a census. Ah, like, that's it. Satan causes David to take a census where you count the number of people. Government paperwork, the DMV, this is where Satan is working. That's not scary. And listen, listen, that's the point. It's not scary. It's rooted in pride. Back in, that, back in those days, a census is where you count the people. So Satan is trying to get David to say, take pride in how Israel has grown under your leadership, David. Think about where you were and where you are now. Count these people. And God is furious with David. We think spiritual warfare is so cool and being against and and, and it's and we're and some of us, you know, your parents, I know, you're against scary movies, you're not allowed to watch them and I'm that's fine. That's fine. I'm not going to sit here and recommend them or bash them, but you're so focused on that, don't let that evil into this house. All the while, pride, pharisaism, lust, gossip, negative view of yourself. That's what's running your life. Here's how Satan attacks. Satan attacks through directing governments. Maybe we think of Nazi Germany here, Daniel 10. Bringing sickness, don't overthink that. My wife has the flu right now. It's not spiritual warfare, it's the flu, okay? All right, she went to Harvard this morning. So don't think when you get sick, like, oh, here, here, no. So, but it happens. Satan has done this. Yeah, persecution, Revelation 2.10. Preventing evangelism. Evangelism is telling other people about Jesus preventing that. Um, there's a pastor one time he talks about he had a missionary on furlough come to his house and they were going to drive to like the library. It's like a 10 minute drive. And he's like, can we pray before we go? And he was like, why 
I mean, we can, but why do you want to pray before we go to the library? He says, he was a missionary in the Middle East, and he said, we would get in cars to go evangelize, and, you know, for years and years, hundreds of times, and there were two times we were in such a rush that we forgot to pray, and we got in wrecks both times. Preventing evangelism. Paul says we, in 1 Thessalonians 2, we wanted to come to you, but Satan stopped us. Spiritual warfare isn't in the scary basement, guys. It's at the lunch table when something is preventing you from opening your mouth to your friend, either inviting them to church or sharing the gospel with them. That's where Satan's forces are most concerned. He also is, here's how another way he attacks, planting doubt. Think about Genesis 3. Did God really say? Planting doubt in your mind. And last one, to false teaching. 1 Timothy 4.1 Why is there no demonic activity in America? There is, but it doesn't look like the movies show. Example. Let's go to the Old Testament, right? So an Old Testament time frame, thousands of years ago. Demonic mysticism, spiritualism, the whole thing. Israel meets Egyptian, Canaanite, Babylonian kingdoms. All of them are dominated by occult beliefs and practices. Yet demons are rarely mentioned in the Old Testament. Here's what is mentioned in the Old Testament. Again, warfare everywhere spiritually. In Deuteronomy 32, God says to Israel that worshiping idols is worshiping demons. In Deuteronomy 23, God calls out Israel's sexual immorality. And in Psalm 106, He says how angry and heartbroken He is at Israel over child sacrifice. Uh, in Jeremiah 7, 2 Kings 3, Ezekiel 23, the people of Israel actually would sacrifice their children to this god of the Canaanites called Moloch. And there was no explicit devil there. There was no explicit possession there. It was satanic influence, and it was just what everyone was doing. So in the Old Testament, which is filled with demonic activity, there's barely any mention of possessions or hauntings. But there is mention of idolatry, immorality, and the death of children. Does this not sound like exactly what's happening in where we live? David Platt says, We are not looking for specific times you see demon or angel mentioned. We are looking at satanic and demonic influence behind all of the idolatry and immorality in the Old Testament in our country and in our own lives. Spiritual warfare is here and it is real. But we cannot spend our lives worried about the nothing that is under our bed or in our closet. We must spend our lives fighting our sin. No one can... Alright, here's the other thing too. And here's where this applies in. No one, okay, can drag somebody into hell. That happens in movies all the time. The Bible says you do not get dragged off to hell by some demon while you're still alive. You are sent to hell by the only judge with the power to do that. And that's God. Demons pulling people into hell is something that they have no power or jurisdiction to do. Ever. 
Like if someone came up to you and was like, you're going to jail, come with me, and they're not a police officer or judge, you'd be like, bro, you work at Kangaroo Jack. Why are you telling me like, to go here? What are you talking about? A random person has as much power and authority to take you to jail as a random demon has to, has to drag you into hell. It's zero. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed to every man once to die and then the judgment. Only the judge can send you to jail and only the judge of the universe can send you anywhere. It doesn't happen like that, like we see in movies. Uh, I think one of the ways spiritual warfare is very real is in our church in terms of like, in churches people get bent out of shape about the smallest things. Like in church world, this is where people will get really upset. Like Mac talked about, at his old church, there was a business meeting for like 30 minutes until they were talking about like, should they get a new copier or not? Like that was the big, like, oh, what do we do? Um, at another church, it was like, should we or should we not vaccinate our kids? Almost ripped the church in half. Um, you get stressed out at Valentine's banquet, and so-and-so gets mad at you, and there's a clash, never coming back. Happens at school, maybe we'll get over. Happens at church, no way. It's these little things that make us crazy, that, that at church in particular, it just drives in. I, again, that's my opinion, but I think there's spiritual, I think there's an there's a evil influence back there that makes it bother us more at church than anywhere else. Satan, and last thing, Satan in Revelation 12.10 his name means the accuser. The ultimate power Satan has is, remember, twofold. One is to make you totally uninterested in what I'm talking about. But number two is to tell God about your sin. That's where he's gunning for you, is to tell God about your sin. But what happens, look at me, what happens when there is no sin for him to tell God about? When you place your life in Jesus' hands, his sacrifice removes your sin. Now Satan is an accuser with nothing left to accuse you of. Jesus' death and resurrection have removed Satan's power to accuse you of anything. And I know, you know, it's like I know she did, you know, God would say, I know she did those things, Satan, but my son has paid the penalty for her, so she's free now. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. To resist him, to run from temptation, to close the door and cool down before you go back in there to talk to someone you're angry at. To resist temptation. This is spiritual warfare. This is waging war on Satan and his demons. If you're really concerned about spiritual warfare, you should read those books, you should check out Secret Church, but you should also really be concerned about running to Jesus and away from your sin. That's the spiritual warfare that God is trying to lay out for us. That's where it all is. It's fine to talk about things that we think are cool, that's fine, but the focus has to be on fighting your sin, over and over. He doesn't, you can watch all the YouTube documentaries you want, and then after you watch that YouTube video, you watch pornography. In no way have you gained a foothold in the spiritual warfare battle. Does that make sense? 
This is Satan's strategy. This is his end. If you're really concerned about spiritual warfare, we have to be concerned with running to Christ and away from our sins. Let's pray. Thank you.